0: Funding for Yale Cancer Answers is provided by Smilo Cancer Hospital and AstraZeneca. Welcome to Yale Cancer Answers with your host, Dr. Anise Chagpar. Yale Cancer Answers features the latest information on cancer care by welcoming oncologists and specialists who are on the forefront of the battle to fight cancer. This week, it's a conversation about lung cancer with Dr. Ann Chang. Dr. Chang is an Associate Professor in Medical Oncology at the Yale School of Medicine, where Dr. Chagpar is a Professor of Surgical Oncology.
1: So, Anne, let's start at the beginning. You know, I think a lot of people know about lung cancer, but this whole differentiation between small cell, non-small cell, tell us a little bit more about that. What exactly is the difference? How many people are affected by each and
2: why should we care? Well, you know, I think that the basics about lung cancer are that they form in the lung. There's mainly two different types. Small cell that underneath the microscope, the pathologist looks at the cells and they're very small and round and blue um, and everything else, which is non-small cell. The small cell kind is typically a little bit more aggressive. It grows more quickly. It tends to spread. There are different types that I Typically, tell my patients are like chocolate, vanilla, and pistachio. They're they're adenocarcinoma, squamous cell carcinoma, um, and and other types. Um, and they really are are simply different types that act a little bit differently. They look a little bit different underneath the microscope. And sometimes there are uh, molecular markers that can help us to understand um, a a particular subtype that might be responsive to taking a pill, for example, instead of um, of uh, IV medication. So, Anne, of all of
1: these types, first question is, which type's the most common? I mean, when you say, you know, the small cells are a little bit more aggressive than the non-small cells, and even within that, there's a whole bunch of different types, what type is most common? Like what's the distribution in terms of these cancers? Ah, so
2: the most common type is non-small cell and pretty much 80, 85% of um, lung cancer is is non-small cell. And then 15, 15, 20% is, is small cell.
1: And so... We know that smoking is related to lung cancer, but are there specific risk factors for getting each of these different types or is it kind of all just a mishmash and which type you get is luck of the draw?
2: Smoking is is definitely a risk factor uh, for both non-small cell and small cell. Uh, that being said, there are folks who are never smokers, a small population of, of never smokers, um, or light smokers who may develop mutations in specific genes called EGFR or ALK, uh, ROS1,. Um, Some of these mutations are, they're called oncogenes, um, or the genes are called oncogenes and mutations, uh, tend to, um, lead to lung cancer, a specific kind. And, and because it's not sort of the same as the lung cancer that comes from smoking, where, um, repeated exposure and inflammation to carcinogens cause, um, cause lung cancer, uh, those patients with, for example, a mutation in EGFR um can actually be treated with a targeted therapy uh, that targets EGFR. And that, as I said before, is is often in the shape of a pill that you can take daily. So it's it's really important to when you're diagnosed with lung cancer, um to understand the pathology and specifically the molecular pathology, that means the kinds of mutations that might be available, especially if you have, um, a, a, if you've never smoked or if you have a very light history or remote history of smoking.
1: And so, you know, for the people who have never smoked or have a very light history of smoking, um, Are they more likely to get one type of lung cancer in terms of small cell versus non-small cell than others? And these mutations that you're talking about, are they more common in small cell or non-small
2: cell or does it make a difference at all? So these mutations that I spoke of are more common in non-small cell. And those folks who are light or never smokers are more likely to to, um, uh, develop non-small cell lung cancer than small cell lung cancer. Uh, typically, um, it's it. It has rarely happened that I've seen patients uh, who never smoked who developed small cell cancer. But typically, there is a history of smoking. So
1: you mentioned earlier that small cell were more aggressive. Tell us about the prognosis. So it sounds to me like if you're going to have a choice, you would prefer to have a non-small cell lung cancer. But how
2: bad is one versus the other? I think that the the key thing to know for both is that there have really been a lot of advances such that um we've actually seen improvements in the outcomes for both non-small cell and lung and, and small cell. And this was just published last year in the New England Journal of, of Medicine that The, the incidence of both of these and the outcomes of both of these types of cancers are improving. So I think that's, that's a really important message to know. Um, the other, Aspect of, you know, how you're, how you're going to do with this particular cancer, it has to do with staging. And that just means the geography of where the cancer is in your body when, when you're diagnosed with it. If it's di, if you are, if you have tumors that are just in the lung, uh, or, or have migrated into very nearby lymph nodes, um, then you may be have a stage one or a stage one or two um, cancer, you may be eligible for a local treatment like surgery or radiation um, in combination with with chemotherapy to to really try to remove that tumor. And that's when you have the best prognosis, regardless if it's it's, um, non-small cell or small cell. Overall, folks with non-small cell do a little bit better. Um, But again, Having lung cancer, it's, it's definitely a treatable disease. Um, if you have stage four cancer, which means that you've had disease that has traveled outside of the lung to a different organ, such as the liver or the brain or your bones, then you, we take a different approach, which is, um, then we need to, Use systemic therapy. That means something that gets into your bloodstream because every single cancer cell anywhere needs to have a blood supply. And therefore, um, administering chemotherapy or, uh, more recently, all these advances in immunotherapy um, through the blood into the bloodstream. Um, that way, this the, those uh, therapeutic drugs can reach all of the cancer cells that are in your body, where, wherever they may be.
1: Well, it's certainly good news that you know lung cancer, which is something that I think a lot of people fear, is is becoming a treatable disease, and and that there are all of these advances. and I want to get into that, but first, something that you said um, really struck a chord with me, um, and has been the case with a lot of cancers, and that is the earlier you find it the lower the stage, the more treatable it is. So if you have a stage one lung cancer, that's more treatable than a stage four lung cancer. And I wonder, Anne, if you could talk a little bit about advances that have been made in terms of screening that have helped us to find these lung cancers earlier.
2: Absolutely. Um, Screening is a hot topic now because the U.S. prevented... preventive services task force just re- issued a different recommendation or it altered their recommendation on screening for lung cancer. So previously if you were aged 55 or older um or if you had a um 30 pack year history of of smoking and that means smoking one pack per day for roughly 30 years then you would be eligible for a low-dose um CT scan uh because you had a higher because you have a higher risk of lung cancer and and being able to have a screening CT scan allows us to pick up things when they're very small and you don't have any symptoms and often helps us to detect lung cancers when they are in a very early stage um, so recently in March the. USPT, PSTF, I can't say it. The U.S. Preventive yeah. Services Task Force changed that recommendation to drop the age to fifty, and um, for the the pack year history to twenty. So the idea being, let's expand the the population of, of people that are being screened. Um, now, you know, I think that our our insurers and uh, are are catching up with that, um, but. But the recommendations, recommendations have changed, and I think that that's going to be very positive um, in terms of, of, again, being able to detect uh, lung cancers in earlier stages where they might be able to, to undergo local therapy such as surgery or, or focused radiation.
1: Yeah, so important for people to get screened because there are so many uh, advances in terms of treatment. Just one clarifying question, though, Anne. You know, the other thing that um, a lot of people uh, have now done, especially because we've seen advances in in things like smoking cessation, is to quit smoking. So let's suppose that you have a 20, 25, 30-pack year history of smoking, but you just quit. Like, you know, you made it a New Year's resolution and you quit maybe a year ago, maybe six months ago. Are you still eligible for screening should you still be screened, even though now you're officially a non-smoker or a former smoker?
2: Yes, if you have a history of smoking that's twenty-five pack years, even if it was ten years ago, um, you can still be eligible for the for the screening. I think it's a really important message to folks that um, wherever you are in your course of of, of um, stopping smoking, and it's certainly one of the hardest things to do. Um, it's always important to realize that that that's going to. That stopping or quitting smoking is going to help you um, and help your lungs. It's going to help your your overall um, health, and and you're going to do better than if you continue to, to smoke. Uh, and this is something that we have we have you know there is data for this for folks who even. You know, ha- have smoked a lot over the course of maybe even two packs per day. Um, we certainly uh, had, you know, in our society, uh, a number of years where everybody smoked, and that was really sort of run of, uh, you know, part everybody th- that was a very common thing. So I think that it's really important that wherever you are, if you're a one pack a day smoker, two pack a day, or you, you only, you know, smoke a, a couple of cigarettes a week. I think that, you know, ha- stopping smoking can really help you. And, um, we do have a, a smoking cessation clinic here at Yale that's incredibly successful. There have been so many advances that I can't even keep, keep track. Used to be it was just the patch and the loge- lozenge. And now there's so many different options to help people stop. Um, and, and being able to do some of this through, uh, Tele- televisit consultation, um, either f- through video or phone, can can really you know allow people to access uh, this kind of help and support um, to, to to really improve their health.
1: Absolutely, so important to quit smoking and talk to your doctor or call a quit line to get the help you need. We're going to take a short break for a medical minute. Please stay tuned to learn more about small cell lung cancer with my guest, Dr. Ann Chang.
0: Funding for Yale Cancer Answers comes from AstraZeneca, working to eliminate cancer as a cause of death. Learn more at AstraZeneca-US.com. It's estimated that over 240,000 men in the U.S. will be diagnosed with prostate cancer this year, with over 3,000 new cases being identified here in Connecticut. One in eight American men will develop prostate cancer in the course of his lifetime. Major advances in the detection and treatment of prostate cancer have dramatically decreased the number of men who die from the disease. Screening can be performed quickly and easily in a physician's office using two simple tests, a physical exam and a blood test. Clinical trials are currently underway at federally designated comprehensive cancer centers, such as Yale Cancer Center and its Milo Cancer Hospital, where doctors are also using the Artemis machine which enables targeted biopsies to be performed. More information is available at YaleCancerCenter.org. You're listening to Connecticut Public Radio.
1: Welcome back to Yale Cancer Answers. This is Dr. Anise Tragpar, and I'm joined tonight by my guest, Dr. Ann Chang. We're discussing recent treatment advances in small cell lung cancer. And right before the break, Anne, you were telling us about the fact that there have been really exciting advances, both in small cell as well as in non-small cell lung cancer, that have really affected outcomes for patients with these diseases. So tell us more about some of these
2: exciting advances. I'd love to. This is a a really exciting time for lung cancer. Um, I remember back to when I started at Yale, which was almost 10 years ago, uh, and I put my First patient or one of my first patients on clinical trial at that time, the, the standard of care was chemotherapy. And in this case, we were looking at, um, treating this patient with, with immunotherapy, uh, and, and not doing chemotherapy at first. And he did extremely well. And in fact, I saw him, um, a couple of weeks ago and he has been, um, off trial with no treatment for the past eight years and he is contemplating retirement uh, and he's doing just incredibly well. Not Really, you know, sends shivers down my spine. And, and I know that it's not every single patient that, that has that kind of result. But I think the more that we can learn through, um, studying this through biology, through clinical trials, um, our aim is really to do the best for our patients and push that edge as far as it can go in terms of how they do. I started on trial with immunotherapy um, nine years ago uh, when I started at Yale and he um, was on trial with immunotherapy, had some side effects, uh, but restarted and then and then completed that and pretty much, has been free of disease for eight years. And that is something that still sends shivers up my spine. He is now uh, contemplating retiring (laughs) and, um, he's been able to work all this time. And so I think that's the, that's really the, the success story for, for, for lung cancer, not Every patient is like that, but I think that, you know, understanding that some patients, um, can do very well and, and really emphasizing the science that helps us to understand that is really important. Um, one of the trials that I'm a, a national, um, uh, investigator on, uh, spearheading that, it's, it's a trial called Insignia. It's run through our cooperative group, um, that's, uh, groups that do, um, uh, help to do research, clinical research in the communities. This trial is open at about 850 um, and 50 different centers. We're looking for 850 patients to enroll on this trial. And we're trying to understand for PDL l um, one positive or for uh, patients who have this marker of PDL l um, one if they are treated with either Immunotherapy upfront, or immunotherapy combined with chemotherapy, um, which which group will do better? And and then with those patients who are treated with immunotherapy alone, if they progress, can we then add chemo to the immunotherapy to sort of boost the immune system? Um, and at the same time, we're going to be using the the tissue and the science um, that we. Um, can gather to try to understand if there are biomarkers or signatures that can help us understand which people will benefit and which people, um, have less of a benefit. So, so that's a really exciting trial that's ongoing. We're about 40% of the way through on that. Uh, and I think that, you know, there are, you know, thousands of trials with with immunotherapy and, and um, cancer right now. But but I think this is one that will really help us to understand what's the right thing to do up front. Um, so, Anne, just a,
1: a question on that. So, you know, we talk on this show all the time about immunotherapy and it sounds like, particularly given your anecdotal uh, case with your patient uh, who's now nine years out, it sounds like immunotherapy really does have a role or a potential role in lung cancer. Cancer. With your trial, is it open um, to non-small cell lung cancer, small cell lung cancer, or any lung cancer?
2: So that trial is open for non-small cell lung cancer. Um, and it's for patients who have stage 4 disease and who have uh, a tumor that has a positive marker for pdl one which is uh, an important molecule in, in um, the signaling for immunotherapy. And um in terms of small cell lung cancer yeah. we have a number of of uh clinical trials also that are available um and, and i think that the the story for for small cell is that um chemo plus immunotherapy has been found to be the the um has been approved um for in the past couple of years, that's how the, the landscape of small cell has changed. It was just previously treated with chemotherapy. And just in the past couple of years, we've now, um, now treat with chemo plus immunotherapy. Um, and then the question is, what happens after uh, if that doesn't work anymore? And I think we have a number of different clinical trials that are available for that. And we're trying to really understand the biology behind, um, you know, what, why people respond or why they don't respond. And in small cell, it's typically a, a tumor where there's less tissue available to test. And so we've, we've put together a really great team here for studying the science that includes Katie Politi and Kurt Schalper, um, who are PhD scientists working on lung cancer, uh, as well as myself. And, um, you know, I think it, it would be too hard to go into all of the, 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 the details here, but um I think we're we're gonna learn a lot about um how we can um explore the biology of small cell in order to um find out vulnerabilities in order to target um this disease.
1: Yeah, so it sounds like, you know, across the board in lung cancer, whether you've got small cell or whether you've got non-small cell, it sounds like immunotherapy is increasingly becoming part of the regimen um, that your doctor may use to treat your disease and that that really has made a difference. Now, um, Anne, is that the case only for people who express PDL one I mean, we've talked on this show before about checkpoint inhibitors like PDL one um, so is it the case that people who present with metastatic lung cancer, stage four, um, that they should be having their tumors checked for that marker and then treated with immunotherapy or or is immunotherapy something that, you know, your doctor may use
2: regardless? So um, for non-small cell lung cancer, you definitely need to have your tumor checked, um, if you have high uh, levels of PDL1, so greater than 50%, then you may be eligible to be treated with, with just immunotherapy alone. Otherwise, you really need to be treated with a combination of chemo and immunotherapy. For small cell, small cell is different. There's very little PDL1 expression to start with. Um, and for the trials that have been done, they've looked at really all comers. Uh, you know, it, it doesn't matter if you have pdl L one expression or not because it's so low anyway. But all of the small cell patients that are diagnosed are treated with chemo plus immunotherapy.
1: Hmm. So so interesting how that kind of plays out between the the two um, the two disease uh, uh, types. So. Tell us a little bit more about other advances that have occurred. Earlier before the break, you were telling us about an alphabet soup of markers, um, things like EGFR and and others, ALK, for example. How have these really changed the landscape? And how are oncologists um, using them to kind of target uh, their therapies, to personalize things, as it were?
2: Great question. Um, so as I was talking about before the break, if you, for example, have an EGFR mu- mutation, which is EGFR stands for Epidermal Growth Factor Receptor. But I think that the key is that um, what we found over the years is that if you have a mutation in that, that you really respond to taking that EGFR-directed therapy and um, in this case it's uh, a drug called osimertinib or tagreso and that's that's and you should do that off the bat if you have a stage 4 disease um if you have stage 1 disease or stage 2 disease or you've had or stage 3 that you've had surgery there has been a very new advance in the past year and actually it was led by um Dr. Roy Herbst of Yale our team um that that basically says that after you finish after you have that surgery you benefit from taking that oral therapy so the osimertinib that was the Adora trial. And I think it's important also to mention um that these trials such as the Adora trial were offered in our not only in our in our uh, main academic campus in New Haven but also in all of our SMILO Care centers across the state and we have we have 15 of them. So um we we've been able to you know allow patients who are in all parts of the state participate in these types of clinical trials that can really really um, give access to cutting edge drugs or to help to advance um, science for all patients.
1: and that's that's the case uh, across the country, right? Um that uh, many of these uh, large trials are are offered at academic centers, They're offered at community centers. Um, And that really people should talk to their doctor because trials, whether they're led by Yale or, or led by investigators at other centers, are often available
2: for patients across the nation. Isn't that right? Absolutely. And I think that, you know, in the past, clinical trials, you know, you thought, gee, I will try a clinical trial if everything else has failed and I'm it's not working for me, so I'm gonna try something experimental. Now that paradigm is completely shifted. So it may be that you have your first treatment that you're going on a clinical trial. Um and it it really is to try and better um the outcomes for each of our each of the recommended treatments that or recommended approaches, standard approaches, um, so that we can you know push the envelope and really do the best um, for our patients.
1: And in terms of these targeted therapies, so whether it's you know a drug that's targeting um, uh, EGFR, or whether it's a drug targeting ALK or, or whatever, um, this is across the board, is that right? Between small cell and non-small cell, and so the question that I have is. If that is the case, then for everyone who has lung cancer, it sounds like they should have their tumor profiled with regards to all of these mutations so that their doctor can better inform what might
2: be the therapy that works best for them. Is that right? So the the mutations that I talked about, EGFR and so forth, are really much more common in non-small cells. So we do, um, as a matter of fact, test all of our non-small cell samples for, uh, you know, we sequence them and look look for these mutations. For small cell, it's a little bit different. Um, We don't have typically um, uh, mutations in EGFR or ALK uh, specifically for small cell. However, um, because we still think that it's important to... um, test for those and typically not upfront. In other words, when you're first diagnosed, but if you are treated with chemo and immunotherapy and per- perhaps it, it, it typically works very well. Um, in 80 to 90% of the cases, you, you have a very good response. Um, but. But that disease may come back when you when you have stage four disease. It's typically not something that you're going to cure because you you know you don't have the option of cutting out or radiating every microscopic cell. So um, if the disease regrows, uh, or if and when unfortunately the disease regrows, we want to have options uh, and and really develop more. Um, Tools is what I tell my patients to, to be able to manage their disease. And that's why we, we, work, we do work so uh, much with, with clinical trials and, and, and feel that that's incredibly important to be able to advance um, outcomes for, for our
0: patients. Dr. Ann Chang is an associate professor in medical oncology at the Yale School of Medicine. If you have questions, the address is canceranswers at yale.edu and past editions of the program are available in audio and written form at YaleCancerCenter.org. We hope you'll join us next week to learn more about the fight against cancer here on Connecticut Public Radio. Funding for Yale Cancer Answers is provided by Smilo Cancer Hospital and AstraZeneca.